Lined into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Gone! Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. All right, I am now joined by a very special recurring guest, friend of the podcast. It is Philadelphia Phillies pitcher Matt Strom. Thank you so much for coming on here, man. It's so good to see you again. Of course. Thanks for having me back. So uh, I was going to say relief pitcher, but your role this year has kind of been a little bit of a hybrid with a, with a starting pitcher here lately. How, how do you feel stepping back into a starting pitcher role? You, you've, you're five very good starts in this season. Yeah, no, I mean, again, I've, I've, said it from the get-go I've said it since I was a prospect of Kansas City I just love pitching and uh you know I'm I'm always up for a challenge as well and when they called me in the office with two and a half weeks left of spring and we're like hey what do you think about starting I basically told them you sign my paycheck you tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it so I mean I just take it day by day and again I just look back on I'm a 21st rounder out of a junior college and I'm seven years into my big league career. So everything from here on out is house money. And I mean, it's win-win for me. That's great. Yeah. So when they did sit you down and tell you that starting was going to be a thing for you this year, like what did you have to do to get your, your body like in a position to do that? And, and even like a mindset, to like switch out of maybe being a reliever, like what, what did you have to do to get your mind and your body ready for this? Yeah. I mean, one of the blessings I had was I had a, finally I had an off season of strength training. So it was all about no rehab. I wasn't rehabbing a knee or anything like that. And, uh, you know, it was, I came into spring in a very good spot, uh, strength wise. I didn't, didn't come into uh, spring with the conditioning as a starting pitcher, but I, I had, I had the, the strength, I believe to, to, to do a full season of starting if need be. And the, the conditioning part came real quick. Um, you know, again, Morgan, our strength coach, and Fury, our, the other strength coach, they did an unbelievable job of altering my lifts, making them more cardio-based, and just uh, building me up quicker. Um, you know, but from a mindset standpoint, I don't – my mindset's the same on the mound, whether it's the seventh inning with a two-run lead or if it's the first pitch of the game. It's just attack the hitter and be aggressive, get the guys in there, into the dugout, and get them hitting as soon as possible. It's, it's great, crazy. Cause yeah, I was listening to some of the, like the interviews you've done, just talking about your mentality, you know, going after guys, uh, you're striking out like, was it 12 per nine and you're in the top 3% of the league in strikeout percentage. I mean, I look back, we just put that 12 or 11 strikeout performance against the Rockies yeah. up not that long ago. Like, do you think that having that mindset has been, you know, productive or it's been, you know, it, it's gotten you the results that you've, you've wanted this season. And just like, what's, what's worked so well for you that you're able to get this many swings and misses. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, not only my my mindset of pitching, but the the pitching staff here with or the coaches the with Cap Cotham and everyone around me with the analytics and everything. Just under, I got I got a better understanding of where my pitches play. So I've never I've never really been a person that is going to throw to a scouting report because I want to throw to my strengths and especially early in account. Oh, Oh, it's like, how can I get to Oh one? Because the difference in an Oh one at bat and a one Oh at bat is like a hundred and something points on batting average. So it's, it's crazy how important that first pitch is. And again, I'm not, I'm not going to pitch my weakness. If it's the hitter's weakness, I'd rather, I'd rather fight fire with fire every time. And, uh, you know, just, I think too, they, they made it, they made a few tweaks to my, what I used to call my curveball, but it's a slider now. Um, and then also just my, my focus with my cutter, more worrying about it playing up in the zone than really worrying about getting my cutter to the back foot or down in the zone. So I think that that has helped me a lot with, uh, with the swing and misses because before I could never get my, I could never get my curveball or my slider down. I couldn't, it was, it, it was a strike pitch, no doubt. You could blindfold me and I could still throw it for a strike right now, but it was never really like, that that put away pitch and I think the minor the minor tweaks we made it to it here has made it a put away pitch 
Wow. This is something that we talked about last week on the show uh, with our old pal, Steve Johnson, who's pitched for the Orioles, but just like two strike approach. Um, what, what is your two strike approach and, and how do you like, how do you go about facing hitters when you have them one, two, 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 like how, how do what's your strategy for that? Yeah. I mean, I told Caleb here, our pitching coach, I said, you know, I want to, I want to have the most three pitches or less at bats. And with that, I'm going to probably give up the most O2 hits, but uh, you know, it's again, it, there's so again I'm not a scouting report guy so I don't look at what guys chase I'm more so I'm in the at bat I trust a lot in my catchers but uh you know just just what have I activated that hitter in like where are we at in the at bat have I been inside has he swung inside am I away has he taken away and it just it it's it's a story throughout the whole at bat and I I just kind of go off what I've activated them in what lanes and where I think they're looking. And again, just what's my strength. And that's, that's how I do it. Wow. Do, are the Phillies, like, are they super analytical with you or do they try to like, do they work with you knowing that, Hey, I'm not a scouting report guy. Um, like wh- what's kind of the back and forth way forth, like with like the Phillies organizationally and pitching philosophy wise. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think the, so they're not like super analytical to where they're like, Hey, you need to throw this in this count or whatever. It's more so, like I said, like my curveball. they, they looked at it and they're like, Hey, it's just not getting down. Why don't you just try this with your wrist? Cause they, they're big into like the edutronic, the slow motion cameras, all that stuff. And, uh, they showed me a few videos and they're like, this is where it is. And I'm a visual learner. That's how I've always been probably why I wasn't very good in public school, but, uh, you know, big visual learner. And uh, that once they showed it to me, it was something very easy for me to mimic once I could see it on camera and see what I was doing and what they wanted me to do. And once I did it, it was like, you could just see a night and day difference in the break of my ball and how late it was breaking. So I, I don't, I don't want to say they're super analytical, but we get there with the analytics, no doubt. Um, but they, again, they know I'm not an analytical guy. I'm not a I'm not a scouting report guy. So they, they, they look at me and they're like, well, let's just sharpen iron. Then let's just figure out how to make you a little, little sharper and send you out there with your arsenal and see what happens. Being on a couple of different teams now at this point in your career, how have you seen organizational pitching philosophies evolve like team to team and year to year? Like, has there been like, you know, the Royals, the Padres, the Red Sox and the Phillies, like, have you noticed like, has there been drastic changes between them or, you know, have you seen similarities from the different teams that you've been on? Yeah. I mean, I would just say with like the, the era I came up in. So like when I came up in Kansas city, it was like analytics were just kind of like, they were spreading. They were, it was, it was the beginning of it. So I wouldn't say it was too much in Kansas city, but talking with guys that are still there, it sounds like they're, they're turning the corner and becoming more analytical. And that seems to be like every place I've left, when I'm doing something new and I talk to my old teammates, it sounds like they're kind of doing it as well. So I would say the game as a whole has changed to more analytics. And I mean, too, I think I truly believe in my process of just compete pitch by pitch instead of worrying. Like when you look at these scouting reports of these hitters, they're big league hitters. Like those scouting reports look scary. It's like, I got to throw the ball here. I got like, but the plate's this big and you want me to just throw it here? Like what, like that, that's intimidating in itself. So for me to take the men, like baseball, I mean, you've played, you know how big of a mental game this is like to, to take as much of the mental part out of this and just worry about executing and competing. It makes it that much easier for me. And I think that's where the analytics have helped me to, to trust my stuff. Like I can trust my fastball in the top of the zone in a fastball count. Like it's just the analytics say that it'll play up there and, it it gives you the trust but you look at some of these guys and it's like dang you can't throw a back foot slider to Rafael Devers but for some guys that's their put away pitch and it's like well if you look at the scouting report it's going to look very intimidating trying to throw it there and you're probably going to miss then but if you just in my opinion you rip it with all the as much as much conviction as you can behind it it's going to be more effective than trying to place it in the spot but, I like that. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it also sounds too like the relationship you have with your catcher is probably the most important part of this whole thing. Right. Cause it's like, if you're going based off a of feel and you're making adjustments in at bat, like 
getting to work with JT Real Muto now, who is one of the best catchers in baseball. Yeah. Um, like, how important is it to develop that chemistry? And what did that look like when you got there, you know, this spring, working with him to try to figure all this out together? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a crazy spring because he was in the WBC. Um, it's kind of funny. Uh, JT caught my first bullpen of spring training, and then he took off to the WBC. And he hadn't caught me. He didn't catch me the entire spring until I threw a relief game in game one of the, the season, and he caught me for the second time. And then the third time he caught me was the day I punched out 11 against Colorado. So, I mean, my entire career, I've been blessed with unbelievable catchers. Started off my career with Drew Buterin and Salvador Perez in Kansas City, both unbelievable catchers that are, again, way, way better with pitch selection than I could be, and especially with their their experience in the league. And then went to San Diego, and I had Austin Hedges, who – one of my all-time favorites with just his his ability to communicate with you from 60 feet six inches is is unbelievable i've never never felt anything like that with hedges and then go to boston and i had vasquez and it was in in plawecki they they worked really well together and then i come here and i got jt Rilamuto and and stubby and stubby and i have been working well together i think he's caught four of my five starts and i mean aside from the cincy start which that one was just something wasn't right for me that day. And I mean, still punched out six with Stubby back there, but it was, it was a, it was a day of work for sure. But, uh, you know, I've, I've been very blessed with the catchers I've had. And again, I put a lot of trust in them because I mean, you, you can see, you, you see it in the clubhouse, what kind of work your catchers put in. And I mean, the amount of work they put in, I, I trust it. Absolutely. What makes a, a, a good catcher great? Like, what, what do the great catchers do working with pitchers and pitching staffs that, you know, take them from take them to that next level? Yeah, I would just say controlling the whole staff, understanding, like, each pitcher's abilities. So, um, you know, for, for me in particular, like Stubby and JT right now, for me, it's like, hey, I want you to set up one side of the – give me a lane to throw the fastball and don't, like – I'm – I do throw a high fastball, but I don't like a high fastball target. My, my misses are up. So I tell them like we can get away the middle, middle up part of the zone. So give me like the middle, the middle target, because if I miss, it's going to miss up and it's still going to be a strike. You give me that target up at the top of the zone and I miss up, we're never going to get it called. So they do an unbelievable job of knowing knowing each pitcher, some pitchers like visuals. So like for me, I want the glove where you want it to end. Some guys want the glove where you want the pitch to start. So you'll see some catchers, like they'll start the glove over their shoulder and catch it in the middle of their legs because that pitcher wants the visual of where you want that slider to start. So a catcher that understands like, okay, Strom is a glove guy to where the ball wants to end versus where the ball wants to start. And then I don't know. I don't even know if this is true, but let's say just Brogdon or Kimbrell likes it to where you want it to start. So those catchers that, that understand their pitchers and their entire staff are the ones that, that seem to have the most success. And again, I've been fortunate enough that I feel like every catcher I've had has done that for us. I'm fascinated by this now because I've been watching baseball my entire life. And I've always like seen whenever the catcher sets up one place and he catches it down here, I'm like, pitcher messed up. Pitcher didn't hit his spot. And I'm like, this guy sucks, but that's, that's not the case. Not, not always. Like, so for me, like, again, I'm a, I'm a visual guy of where I want the ball to end. Like I always say, put the glove where you want the ball to end, except on my backdoor cutter. When I'm going to throw a backdoor cutter, I want you to put your cup, where you want the ball to end and give me the target outside of that cup. So like, just put your, put your crotch right over the black of the plate and give me a target outside of that. And I'm going to throw it at that target and it's going to end at your cup. So like, it's uh, again, those, those cat, and it, it's unreal to me that they have 13, 13 pitchers, but they, they remember these things all the time. Every time that pitcher steps on the mound. Do you use that pitch com thing in your hat? I do. I do. Well, what kind of adjustment was that like? And does it like, so it's obviously for, you know, protecting against sign stealing. Like, was that, was that weird when, like, yeah. when that first was put in there? What, what's that like? So, yeah, it's, I, I actually like it. Um, something, 
something I've gone back and forth with the pitching coaches on is the just the verbiage in it. Like, so something I don't like that we were using. So, like, usually it's like fastball away, and it'll it'll repeat in your head. And actually, it's it's voiced over with JT's voice. So it's actually JT's voice in our hat that is saying it, which I mean makes it good. It's kind of weird when I'm looking at Stubby and JT's talking to me in my hat, but it, it, it is what it is. And uh, the one thing I've like, I haven't liked about, I love that it's in our hat. You get it right away, whatever. But the verbiage in it is something I'm still trying to work out with uh, the pitching coaches and everything. So like you got fastball in fastball away. We have a strike button on there and I hate the strike button. So it'll say fastball strike. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, no shit. I want to throw a strike here. It's two Oh, like, yeah, no kidding. Like, Quit telling me to throw a strike. Like, give me a lane, like, in, away, up. Like, give me a lane. I don't I don't want strike. Like, I know I need to throw a strike here. It's 3-1, like, obviously. But uh, Is, there, is there a ball button? Uh, it's it's chase. So, it would be oh. like, it would, it, it would say slider chase. Or, I think, actually, so that might have been in Boston where it was slider chase. I think, I think here, or no, in Boston it was, it was, uh, slider two strikes and here it's slider chase so i mean it's just it's different verbiage like again and it just i feel like uh do you play golf ever mm-hmm. yeah okay so so you ever like go for a tee shot and you're like all right i just can't go left here and then you take the shot and you go left it's like the last thing in your head and it happens yeah so it's like it's like for me it's like strike or like whatever and it's like yeah no no shit i want to throw a strike and then it's like now I'm pissed because the JT's telling me to throw a strike in my hat, and I'm obviously three zero, and I need to throw a strike. And it's like, it's just, it's the verbiage. It's it's a little picky, but um, or finicky, I guess. But yeah, yeah. just the verbiage is something that needs to be ironed out. But I enjoy it in the in the hat. The one thing that stinks now is the pitch clock. If you want to shake with pitchcom, it's it's almost a panic for the catcher to get you another sign because he's got to hit two or three buttons, I believe, in order to send the signal. So it's not like like you shake a two and you can immediately go to a three. That took less than a half of a second. Mm-hmm. But when he pushes a button and it says, then it goes fastball away and you shake, okay, push another button. It's like, okay, fastball in. Well, that took two and a half seconds. And it's like, I don't know. Uh, it's good, but the pitch clock kind of speeds you up with the pitch gum, I guess. Last question on the pitch comp. How loud is it? Like when, when it's talking to you, like obviously the batter's really far away. This might just be a dumb yeah, question. Yeah. I've always wondered, no. like, is it just screaming like no. in your ear? So you actually have, there's, it's no different than like the volume in your car. You have level one to 20. I usually sit on like level 15. Um, but last year in Boston, when we were in, in the trop, I come out for my first pitch in, in the trop and there's again, it was dressed like a seat night at the trop. There was nobody there. And uh, I'm sitting here and it's like fastball away. And it's like, wait a second. Everybody heard that right now. Like it, they had to, but they, they don't. I mean, the catchers wear it. Some catchers wear it in their hat, like us pitchers. Some catchers will wear like the, the earplug that goes in. And I'm always sketched out that like, because both our catchers here wear it in their, in their mask without the earplug. It's like, dang, dude! Like, it's really loud for me out there on the mound. Like, you sure, you sure the, you sure the hitter can't hear it? Like, it's just. But, I mean, they assure you that they can't, and they ask the umpires too. JT and Stubby told me they'll they'll ask, especially when they mess with the settings, like when it gets loud in the stadium and they turn it up a little bit. They'll ask the umpire, like, "Hey, will you let me know if you hear this?" So the umpire's right over them, which the umpire's closer than the hitter, in my opinion. So as long as the umpires are being honest, which they have no reason not to be, um, then, then yeah, I think, I think we're, we're good, but I don't know. They say they can't be hacked, but if Elon Musk's airplane can be hacked, everything can be hacked. Like that's, that's my thing I got on. It's still, someone's going to hack it eventually. Right. And it's also like, not that like, it's, it's a pretty recent thing that the pitch com is. So I'm sure, you know, it's still things yeah. getting ironed out. I, I That's fascinating. I've, I've always wondered. Yeah. It's like, if if you're in a stadium where there's nobody there, like can the pit, can the hitter just be like, oh cool, it's a fastball? Like <laughs> yeah, no, you said like in the trap, you better you better keep it on level five. But uh, in twenty nine, well, twenty eight other stadiums, you uh, you probably need to be on level fifteen or higher. I mean, there was there was a time in 
in that Rockies game, um, my last inning, uh, fans got super loud with two outs and I couldn't hear it. It was like, again, level 15, heard it the whole game. And then when, when stuff just started erupting a little bit, it, I couldn't hear it. And it was like stubby or it was JT actually. I was like, I can't hear. And then he just dropped a finger. And right. so it's, and that's something too. Like yesterday, every time I shook, I, I only shook twice, but when I did shake, Stubby just immediately went to the fingers, no one on, which was nice. So, I mean, we got we got some things that we're still figuring out with the pitch clock, pitch com, all that, but that's baseball, I guess. Roll with the punches. Yeah, everything, you know, you mentioned it, everything's sped up this year. You have, you know, pitch clocks, you know, hitters have to be in the box at a certain time. Everything's yep. kind of, you know, on this rapid pace. Um, from your perspective, like how much of an adjustment was that for you? Um, are you a fast worker in general? Uh, so I've always been a fast worker with nobody on and then being left-handed. So as a left-handed pitcher, you either have a really good pickoff move or you don't. And I unfortunately fall in the, I don't have a very good pickoff move, but something I took pride in was controlling the running game by my holds and my looks. And that's kind of, that's kind of been eliminated now with the pitch clock. Like I, I can't hold the ball as long as I want to sometimes because of the pitch clock. Um, but I mean, still, again, I'm still finding different ways of mixing up my looks, doing different stuff, but, uh, yeah, just the pitch clock, in my opinion, took out some of the cat mouse games you have with hitters and base runners that made baseball great. Like, I mean, there's games with inside the game and we're kind of getting rid of them, but again, it is what it is. How does that work when the pitching coach comes out to the mound? Uh, I feel like they only have a, you know, a couple brief seconds out there. Do, do they impart like words of wisdom in that like five second window? I feel like they have before <laughs> yeah. they have to leave the mound. Yeah, no, they should, they should start just bringing us a scroll and leave us a little notepad is cause like just a little pass by like post-it note or something, but drive by. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's been all right. I mean, and I mean, tip the cap to the umpire. The umpires have had tremendous feel so far this year um, with the pitch clock and whatever. But, uh, yeah, I still think there's things to iron out with it. I There's always a ton of injuries at the beginning of the year. So, again, like guys have been mentioning that they feel like the injuries are up, a lot of hamstrings, a lot of low backs, wondering if it's the pitch clock. And, you know, it's every year in April and May we see a lot of injuries. It's just the ramp up of the season. But uh, something that's going to be curious to see is, is the, the starting pitchers come July and August when it's hot out there? Because, again, as a starting pitcher right now, you feel like you're playing basketball. Like, like the other day I sat down and I think uh, Kirby had like a seven-pitch inning or something. And then I went out there and had a four-pitch inning. And it was like, dude, like we, we've been on the mound for a combined two minutes between the two of us. Like and neither of us have probably felt like we sat down, uh, you know. But it it's, it's an adjustment. Um, I don't know if it's good for the game or bad, but it's definitely an adjustment and we'll just have to see what happens. This How do you feel question. about it as a fan? The pitch clock. I kind of, I kind of like it to be honest. I, I was okay. so against it at first too. So I'm resistant to change as a general rule yep. of thumb, yep. but when a game's two hours and two hour, two and a half hours, like some of these games, like I love baseball, but three plus is a little much. And there's a lot yeah. of downtime. There's a lot of, you know, scratching yourself, a lot of like air of time that was just sitting there. I'm like, it's taking a while and it's i like the pace of it now but, but are you going to be able to swallow the pill when it's uh a 2-2 series and baltimore has runners on second and third with two strikes and two outs and it's a pitch clock violation that ends your rally you're gonna be able to swallow that pill probably a not non, i'm also <laughs> yeah. a non-competitive action creating a competitive outcome just doesn't seem right to me they also have to figure out like the big moments, like the standing ovations. Like I was watching the Pirates where they had the thir- the thirty three year old rookie oh, Drew Baggy came up, and he's like, "Hey, you know, thirteen years in the minors, tip of the cap, standing O." And it's like yeah. you get a strike because you weren't in there quick enough. Or Cody Bellinger back in L A. It's like the yep. dude was rookie of the year, MVP, won a World Series there. You know what? That pitch clock on his first at bat should be a minute and forty five seconds. Yes. Like, like it, or it shouldn't even be on. Like you got to like. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to do that stuff because, I mean, 
Yeah, I don't even know. Like, I mean, with Harper coming back, like, I'm sure he's going to have to wear a brace when he gets on the bases. So is it just going to be like, hey, you got to hurry up and put it on? Or are we going to give the one of the faces of baseball an extra five seconds to put a brace on so we have him on the field? Like, you know what I mean? Like, having him on the field is very important for the game of baseball. Not just for the Philadelphia Phillies, but for the game of baseball. So how do we get him on there? There has to be some kind seconds? of discretion. There has to be umpire's discretion for feel of the game, big moments. Yeah, like stated ovations. You should just like turn it off for, yeah, like you said, like a minute, minute yeah. and a half. Um, yeah. I think the only solution is if you're a hitter, you have to rip a ball foul and just pray that the ball person doesn't go get it quickly and you have like a 15-second yeah. break. That's it. Well, I told hitters they should start dropping their bat on every foul ball. Even if you foul it straight back, just drop your bat and take one step out of the box. Because then the pitch clock stop? shuts off. It shuts off until you, like, grab your bat again. So drop your bat, and if you want to fix your gloves outside of the box, do it, and then pick your bat up and get back in. Like, I didn't know so that was a rule. There, there's, there's ways around it. Like, so yesterday in my start, my big thing, so they, they now allow us this rock rosin, which has more stick to it than the old rosin, and – the only problem is, is, like, you don't have time to go to it in between pitches. Like, it's, it's really hard to go to the rosin bag in between pitches. So yesterday after my first inning, come into the dugout, and I asked, I asked Bailey Falters, I was like, hey, can you run into the clubhouse and get me a rosin bag, a rock rosin? Because I just want to put it on my hands before I go out and pitch so I have it for the inning, and then, like, I just don't have time. And MLB security was like, no, nope, you can't have it in the dugout. I'm like, I can't have it in the dugout, but I can just walk down here to the hitter's bag and there's two of them in the hitter's bag and I can grab, like, use those. So, like, what's it matter? I want my own personal one because the hitter's has pine tar on it. I'm trying not to cheat here, so give me my own clean one that is just rock rosin. And in the third inning, they came out and they're like, oh, uh, we texted some people, you can use one. And it's like, okay, <laughs> thanks. Like, and then after the game, I talked with them, and I was like, look, I just want it on the bench because I don't have time in between pitches. And they're like, yeah, we understand. We'll figure it out, blah, blah, blah. But there's there's still stuff that they have no idea about that they're – we're just figuring it out as we go. Um, but, but yeah, it's – baseball Baseball's a little bit of a circus right now. Yeah. In the wake of everything that's happened with the sticky stuff so far this year, have you seen any – like, have they gone about it in a different way? Have you seen enhanced, like – checks or like an enhanced like importance on that kind of stuff so far uh so the checks have kind of all been the same but uh to go but like i was a major anti-sticky guy when when i first came into the big leagues in 16 it wasn't very prevalent throughout the league that guys were using anything really i mean and all of a sudden spin rates started shooting through the roof and it was like it kind of ticked me off a little bit because when I debuted, I was in like the top 20% of spin rate, fastball spin rate. And then by the end of, or by the beginning of 18, I wasn't in the top 50 anymore. And it was like, wait a second. Like my fastball's always been naturally spinny. Like it's had great spin. And so then of course, like I hang out with pitchers all day. I start seeing why these guys are spinning the ball very well. And it's, a bunch of stuff on their glove or on their belt or on their hat. And it was it kind of ticked me off. And I was, I was always against it. I felt like if you're using that, it's no different than using steroids. It's a performance enhancing substance to, to make you better. And uh, so when MLB came out with this rock rosin, I never used the old rosin before because it made my hand feel chalky, no stick, like just felt chalky. And then they came out with this rock rosin and I started using it and it, it creates a tack. And actually, multiple times in spring training, when I came off the mound and the umpire checked me, he checked me. And he's like, all right, you're good. And I was like, will you double check me? Because I feel really sticky. And they've all looked at me like, what? And I'm like, dude, like this, this just feels too sticky. And I was like, it's just rosin. And they touch. No, that's good. Go on. And I was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> Thanks. There's no like uniform, like when they, when they check your hand, I mean, obviously they've been trained on this stuff. And that was kind of the thing when I was getting yeah. out of the Mets stuff this past week where they were like, there's no like uniform across the board measure for stickiness. There's no one through 10 scale of, all right, you're an eight, you're good or whatever. Like this, right. how, I'm just fascinated by how they go about the, the in hand pat down things. Yeah. I mean, every, 
every umpire is different. And like yesterday I got checked by the same umpire three times and all three of his checks were different. Like the first check, he just checked both my hands, touch both hands. He's like, you're good. The next check, he asked for my glove. I gave him my glove. He put his hand in my glove, which I hate when people put their hand in my glove. And he puts his hand in my glove, touches the glove, does everything, and then hands it back and just touches my two fingers. And he's like, you're good. And then the third one, he asked to see the inside of my belt. And I just flip my belt. And then he's like, okay, you're good. So they do, it's random throughout. Um, they all do it different. Um, I'm pretty sure the last three sticky guys have all been from the same umpire, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Bill Cuzzy. Yeah, so that to me, again, is I don't know if – I don't know. Is, is Phil maybe covering himself in sunscreen before the game? And once his sunscreen touches our rosin, it makes it more sticky. Like, you got to think of that too because if it's a day game and the umpire puts on sunscreen and comes out and doesn't wash his hands and he touches my rosin, it's not only going to make my hand sticky, but his hand's going to be really sticky. So, I don't know. Have don't you ever know, had to like, use alcohol to wash your hand off? Uh, no. Okay. No. That was that was a big point of contention this past couple of weeks. Um, yeah. Yep. Gosh, let's uh let's shift gears though, because I do want to talk a little bit about the fills here. Um, yeah. Like. I, I've heard you. I think on the post game after your game yesterday, talking with the guys in the booth about just like how well you fit in, like with the with the environment, with the clubhouse, and everything in Philly. Was that an important thing for you when you were looking for teams this off season, looking for a place where you could slide in and fit in easily? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I could. I mean, I feel like I can mesh well with anyone. Um, the the biggest thing for me this off season, what I was looking for was a chance to win a World Series. Um, that's the most important thing to me right now in my career is I want, I want a ring before I'm done with this game. And uh, as a free agent, you get that opportunity to sit down and weigh your, weigh your, weigh what team you want to play for. And, uh, you know, just seeing the energy that not only the team had, but Citizens Bank Park had during the playoffs is, is unbelievable. And last year pitching in Fenway, like, that was the most fun I've ever had finishing last place was getting to pitch in Fenway every night and just the energy that the fans bring. And I mean, Philly's no different, but you better pitch well there. So they, they bring the energy. And I mean, that's something I feed off of. And then just again, to, to watch how these guys play baseball and it's, you could tell a, a, a real hoorah versus a fake hoorah on TV, especially when you've been in it. And, uh, you know, these guys, these guys hang on every pitch with each other. And it's, it's a fun team to be a part of. We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from the official sponsor of Not For Long Media and the Breaking Bats podcast, the original Fudge Kitchen. It is a staple of the Jersey Shore with six locations in Cape May, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and Ocean City. The original Fudge Kitchen makes all of their fudge in-store guaranteeing a delicious product. So stop by and let them know that Not For Long Media and Breaking Bats sent you. Check them out online at fudgekitchenswithans.com as they are shipping fudge and sweet treats all across the country. Now back to the episode. That's a great point. Yeah, going from two top-tier organizations, the Red Sox, the Phillies. Like, yeah. Also, one thing I've always been curious about is like the balance between you know making money and then making or going to a team with like a bunch of success. Like, yeah. how have you tried to balance? You know, I mean, ultimately, you would like to get the most amount of money you can while you're playing yeah. this game with also like you know I want to win a ring. Yeah, no, I mean, I I didn't, I mean, my mom and dad did an unbelievable job raising us three kids, but uh, I didn't come from money by any means. And I mean, from what I've made in the last six years, if I, if I'm broke when I'm done with baseball, I messed it up myself. So, I mean, it was, it's, I, I do understand, make the most money, do all that. But at the same time, it's what, what is my family and I going to be happiest with and what's going to give me the best chance to win is, is ultimately the most important thing to me. I like that. Yeah. I, I, I always appreciate when, when guys speak candidly about this, where it's like, yeah, you know, I could go get more money over here, but you know, team situation, personal situation, like goals for myself. Like I, I always find it cool when, when guys like speak out about that kind of stuff, because um, as fans, we just don't know. Like, I don't, right. I don't, I'm not in that situation where I can either pick between, you know, getting that or that. So right. um, it's, it's just yeah. fascinating to hear about that. Yeah. I mean, again, and like in, into each their own, like, it's not, I'm not saying my way is right. Like there is, there's those players out there that like, I mean, 
guys will say that that Reynolds deal, like he probably left however many millions on the table, but you, you don't know what Reynolds is thinking. Like, uh, what's the difference? What's the difference in a lifestyle of a hundred million or 180 million? Like you can still buy a really sick house and some really nice cars with a hundred million that you could do with 180 or 200 million. Like, so at what point do you look at happiness over, over the dollar? And I mean, again, as a middle reliever, I'm not, I'm not, looking for that hundred million i mean sure i'm looking for it but like it's not out there like it's not a thing so what's 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 more important and to me it's winning and, and winning obviously the phillies went to the world series last year they have a very very good roster and a very good team this year um being around there even just that short time that you've been on the phillies so far like how good can the phillies be this season uh i don't think we've seen it yet which is kind of scary because i want to say over 50% of our losses, we've out hit the other team. And I'm not saying we've out hit them by one or two hits. We've out hit them by like four or five hits. So it's, uh, it's kind of scary to think that. And uh, also the, the two big pieces we're missing in Harper and Hoskins, um, obviously Hoskins not going to be back. And I mean, Harper's coming back soon. Hopefully Reese can be back for the playoffs. That'd be unbelievable. But uh you know, it's those are two two big pieces, but this lineup's still scary without them. And once once you insert Harper back into it, we got Marsh hitting seventh. Are you kidding me? Like, what is that? <laughs> like, that's it's a it's a scary lineup, and it's gonna be fun. I love it. All right, I have a couple of last things for you. Then we'll do some uh, quick rapid fire to get you yeah, out of here. Yeah, yeah. Um. So last fall, I was in a bar in Florida, and they had the TV on. And I, I was like, that guy looks really familiar. And it was the card life and you were on TV. Um, oh, yeah. And I was like, I was so caught off guard because I just I, a, wasn't expecting to see that on there. But also, I didn't really know that you had a TV show. We did talk about it last time. Um, no. How did you get involved with that? And can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So, I mean, this goes all the way back to 2020. So when I first got back into cards after the 18 season, um, or maybe it was the 19 season, it's all kind of been a blur. But uh, Phil Hughes was one of my teammates in San Diego. And uh, once he retired, he started his whole YouTube channel, Phil's Polls, and uh, started watching it. And then COVID happened in 20, and I just reached out to Phil. I was like, hey, Phil, you think, uh, you think fans would like if I opened up boxes in every stadium that I visit? And he's like, dude, they'll eat it up. Like, that'd be sweet. So I started doing that, and then that was the COVID year. And after COVID, uh, Brandon reached out to me, the producer of The Card Life, and he just was like, hey, I love your YouTube channel. He's like, I got this contract to do this show on Bally Sports. Um, it's, I think it, the contract was for like 10 episodes or something, the first one, and just kind of see how it goes. And he was like, interest, just wondering if you wanted to host it. And I was like, absolutely. That sounds amazing. And, you know, worked out the logistics and then started shooting the card life. And uh, he does an unbelievable job of picking the cities that I'm playing in or that we're visiting to shoot the episode on like an off day or before, before I head to the field one day. And, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I've gotten, gotten to see a lot of stories and, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten to open a lot of, a lot of cool cards. I love that dude. You, I've, your YouTube channel is fantastic. Um, have you gotten any of your teammates involved in the hobby just through like, you know, being around it, being around the guys and pulling cards? Yeah, last year in uh, last year in Boston, it takes some heating up a little bit. So like usually like this time of year, like the Bowman products are releasing, and not not many guys are not many guys are into the the prospect status, so to speak. So uh, it takes takes a minute until some of these bigger products start coming out for the big league players, and then once I have them in the clubhouse, it, it's funny to watch like these grown men turn into kids when uh, when we're opening cards. Uh, last year in Boston, I think at one point we had eight or nine guys sitting around the table in the clubhouse opening a box of cards. And it was, it's, it's, it's just fun. It's again, it makes me feel like a 12 year old kid again. And, uh, I enjoy it. And it's, it's also fun when like, uh, Cassianos, uh, I think, I think he's nine or 10 is nine or 10 year old boy, Liam, when he comes into the clubhouse, I just have a box of cards of they're not worthless cards, but they're just a bunch of base cards that sit in my locker of all the guys in the clubhouse. And you'll see them going through, picking them out, and then he'll go up to guys and get them signed. And they just, it's, it's fun to watch the kids have fun with it too. And again, card, cards to me tell stories. So Liam's going to have a sick collection when he's 
30 years old and he gets to flip through and see all of his Bryce Harper, Trey Turner signed cards and everything. So it's going to be cool. Dude, that's the best. Uh, I think last time you said that you had a room in your house full of them. Is that still the case? Have you gotten more storage space for the at home collection? Uh, so we actually just moved and, uh, it was, <laughs> my wife redid the entire house except the office. I deemed the office as my baseball card room and told her not to touch it. Cause when all the cards got moved in there, my plan was to organize them all, but I haven't even touched it. And she's the whole house is done. She's done an amazing job of setting up the house, except the office. And it's really bugging her because the office is the first thing you see when you walk in our house through our front door. It's these double glass doors to an office. And when you look in there, it's just boxes on the floor stacked to like waist high. And there's cards everywhere. And she's like, when are you going to do it? And I was like, when I get a table in there. And she's like, well, you told me not to do anything. You're going to do it yourself. And I was like, yeah, I'll get it sometime. <laughs> but yeah it's it's kind of hard to organize when you're when you're opening more than you're sorting so that's fantastic yeah no you, you need that one area of your house though that can be a little messy can be a little create your creative space yep. um i just picture your house there's just like loose cards just like you, you go in the bathroom oh. there's just like there's one other thing <laughs> which is well there might be because sometimes my daughter gets in there and it'll be like i'll, I'll sit on the couch and like looking for the remote and all of a sudden like I look between the couch cushions and there's a, a top loaded card in there and I'm like I pull it out and it's like I don't know a Kellenic <laughs> rookie card I'm like how did this get here and then it's like sure enough my daughter was in my baseball room and got some cards out so that's there might be that's a fantastic a few with some uh some fruit snacks stuck to them but it is what it is <laughs> I love it. Uh, oh, last, last thing before rapid fire. Last time we had you on, we talked uh, a little bit about Juco baseball. Uh, the clips yeah. went super mega viral. I, I didn't realize there was a big contingent of the internet that like is uh, like a, the big greater Juco baseball community. Um, yes. What do you think it is about like Juco baseball and, and the community itself that like, you know, makes it, you know, they're, they're so kind to their own. They're so supportive. Like it's a whole, it's a whole little section of the internet there. I feel like. Yeah, no, I, I just, uh, and that this isn't this isn't a knock to Division One or anything else, but I just think the grind of junior college baseball is unmatched. It's it's in my opinion, just again, I didn't experience D one, so but just talking with some of these guys that have played D one, like D one's got all these rules on practice. And uh, I remember, I think it was Boehm telling a story the other day when he's at Wichita, and they have they literally have a coach that has a timer on practice, so it's like. They get X amount of hours a week, I guess. And when the clock hits an hour and 38 minutes, whether they're in the middle of in and out or batting practice, it's see you guys off the field, go. But junior college is, hey, we're here to work on baseball and we're going to work on baseball until you guys get baseball right. So I, I can remember we had, a, we had a bunting circle one day for practice and it was everyone was in a circle and you had to get a bunt down the third baseline or first baseline and then a suicide squeeze. And you had to get all three, you got three pitches, you had to do all three, and everyone had to do it in a row. And the second you stopped, or this, whoever messed up, started over there. And once you did the full circle, practice was over. Well, our junior college field didn't have lights. We started practice at 1.30, I believe, 1.30 or two, probably. And our cafeteria closes at seven. So we start practice at two, cafeteria closes at seven. We're doing this bunting circle for three and a half hours, four hours. Like we already done practice before. So like through in and out, BP, now we're going to do the bunting circle. And all of a sudden we're doing the bunting circle. We're probably like two and a half hours into it. And coach starts telling us pitchers to go eat in increments. So we went up at like four guys at a time and ate in the cafeteria, got like a 20 minute window, come back down, four more guys go, whatever. And we bunted until you couldn't see the ball anymore. So our one practice there was like a week's worth of practice for a division one, like guys who go to junior college, I just feel like their, their grind is a little different. Like you, you find out real quick if you love baseball or hate baseball when you're at a junior college. And I, I mean, our junior college was one of the few that doesn't over recruit. Like you'll hear some of these junior college have 50 guys in the fall and then they start the year with 30. Well, Coach Murray at Neosho County, he started the two the two first day speeches I heard were the exact same. He said, 
I do not over recruit. I bring my 35 or I think it's 37, 35 or 37. And he's like, I bring you guys here and I have full intentions of starting the, we'll say 37. I have full intentions of starting the year with 35 and I've never cut anyone in my career. So essentially what he's telling you is two of you are going to quit because this isn't for you. And he was never wrong. We never started the year with more than 35 guys. And it's, it's unbelievable, but it's the junior college grind, in my opinion, is unmatched. I mean, I would even argue that minor league baseball was a little easier than, than the junior college baseball. Not, not the travel part. The travel part in the minor leagues is brutal, but the practices of junior college, we were a track team that played baseball. That's, that's what we were. Yeah, that's, we could, that's incredible. We could run with the best of them. <laughs> uh yeah it's just like they they feel like when whenever like somebody from junior college gets the level like it makes the majors or just like has success i feel like the whole community itself is like they're so supportive um and also your your junior college coach is fantastic on twitter uh he he interacts with our stuff all the time so i want to give him a shout out oh Um, yeah he loves twitter he loves his twitter fingers he's probably he's probably paid for that blue check mark already (laughs) yeah i mean i would it's in, in his position, he's uh, anytime we tweet oh, something out about you, it's the first person to interact with is uh, it's Steve, Steve Murray, right? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. okay, that guy's the best. Un- so, if he's listening, yeah, unbe- appreciate unbelievable it. dude. Oh, he's 100% gonna listen to this, so <laughs> he's the man. Uh, yep. all right, a couple last quick rapid fire questions before we wrap up. Um, yep. on the Phillies, your teammates with perhaps the only other guy that can match you in terms of flow with Brandon Marsh. Yep. Um, have you guys gotten together, swapped any tips, talked hair? Yeah, so Marshy and I actually work out together all off season too. So uh, you know, I've uh, given him some tips. Uh, he he always asks me because like he wants to go get a trim or like a haircut, and he doesn't know how to clean it up. He's so scared to get a haircut. I'm like, dude, like just go in there and tell him you want a half inch off. Like just trim the tips, and then I said, and then line up your your neck and all this. And he'll like he's like, can you text me what I should do? And I'm like. Marshy, it's easy, dude. Like you got this. And so he's 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 a little scared to get it get it cleaned up, but I've been on him. I think he needs to he needs to shape that beard up, fade it into his fade it into his sideburns with his neck, and it w- it would look clean up in a up in a bun. But uh, you know, Marshy Marshy's flow with that beard and that hair, I can't I can't match that. But but he's he's got he's got the look down. I always just have so many questions when it, whenever it gets hot outside and I see Brandon Marsh with all that hair, or even you, because like, yeah, I, I, I have to imagine it's a hundred degrees outside in July. It's probably not the coolest feeling. No, I mean it's. I mean, I don't know. I actually, I actually like it. Yeah, it's hot, but when it's hot out, your hair is a little heavier, so it's like not in your face. You're sweating kind of like takes down the baby hairs that are like when it's cold out and windy and those baby hairs are flying in your face. And it's like, that's when it's annoying, but I don't really get annoyed with it when it's hot as much as I do when it's cold and windy. Okay. Like when it's cold and windy, it's blown in your face. And then like people, (laughs) people always say, Oh, tie it back when you, when you throw with it. And I always give Craig crap. I'm like, cause Craig always ties it back when he pitches. I'm like, Craig, you got flow for a reason, dog. Like, let it out. Let the flow out. Like, let it fly. Let it eat. Yeah, yeah you're, exactly. You spend all that time growing it out. Exactly. You, you got to let it down. Yeah, but a guy with almost 400 saves, I guess, I, he knows what he's doing. So He's got to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, as the season goes on, do you see yourself exploring the, the city of Philadelphia and trying to take in as much culture as you can? Yeah, I mean, I actually bought a house out there. So, uh, you know, probably even, I don't know as the season goes on, probably more so when the season dies down and uh, out there and get get out with my wife and daughter and see what there's all to do. My wife and daughter are doing it all right now. But, uh, you know, right now with it being baseball season, I'm, I'm a big homebody when it's baseball season. It's the baseball yard in my, in my living room couch for me when it's, when it's the season. So, uh, more so when the season's over, but, uh, you know, yeah, excited to, to get to know the city and, uh, hopefully take in a 76ers game and an Eagles game. That'd be fun. I feel like the fan base too, is really like, like rallied behind you. I've seen nothing but positive things like on Twitter and, and everything else. Like, I feel like you're slowly grown into like a fan cult favorite there. So, um, I, I <laughs> yeah, think, no. uh, I think it's, I think fun. I, I, yeah, I mesh, I'm again, I feel like I fit in well with Philly, like, 
the whole city of brotherly love, like that's how I grew up. I grew up as a middle child with an older sister and a younger brother, a younger brother who is way more athletic and way stronger than me. So I, I totally get the brotherly love. And uh, I mean, again, no one's going to be more pissed than myself when, when I give it up out there. And I mean, when the fans are pissed too, like, again, you just feed off that energy. I enjoy it. All right. Last question. Uh, you're, you're number 25, which is one of my favorite just numbers in all of sports. It's such a great number. When you yeah. got to Philly, did, did you pick that number out? Was it given to you? Uh, you don't see a ton of pitchers. That's usually a power hitting first baseman number. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, actually when I got to Philly, 55 was obviously Ranger and I didn't even like Ranger has been unbelievable here for the Phillies. So I didn't even, I was like, yeah, 55 is not there. So I asked for my college number and my college number was 35 and the club. He was like, yeah, we can give it to you. No problem. No one has it. He's like, I just want you to know the last person to wear it was Cole Hamels. And I was like, no, I'm not. Nope. 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 You can keep that. I'm not putting that on my back. And he's like, well, what other number you want? And I was like, well, uh, I was like, what are, I, I like five, the number five for me, I was number five growing up all the way till college. And then in college, I actually offered, uh, Eric Dawson was a sophomore when I was a freshman. He wore five as a freshman. And my mom had like this baseball necklace with the number five on it and all this. And I offered Dawson, we had a fundraise and we all had to raise 2,500 bucks. And I offered Dawson $500 if he'd give me the number five, which for a junior college guy, that's like, that's a lot of money. I was like, dude, I'll pay, I'll pay a fifth of your fundraising right now if you give me the number five. And he said no. So I was like, all right, I'll go with 35 because it had a five in it. And then with the Phillies, I wanted a five in my number. And my best friend in baseball, Tim Hill, wears 25. So I was like, I'm going to wear 25. So that's, that's why I went with 25 was Tim Hill. Big shout out to him. Um, yeah, just wanted a five on my back. And Timmy wears 25. I was like, I'll rock 25 with Timmy. What great company too, yeah. Jim Tomey and Matt Strom. Those are your exactly. I mean, same guy, really. I mean, if you look at yeah. my high school, if you look at my high school numbers at first base, we're pretty much the same guy. So, one and the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on, Matt. This has been incredible. You, you've always been super nice to me. Um, I I think back to last year. I went to an Orioles Red Sox game and I shouted over the bullpen wall at you, and we talked for a second, which is really really cool. Um, so I'm a huge fan, always will be, even when the Phillies come to DC, I'll still be cheering for Matt Strom. Right um, not sure how that will go over, but we'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> you'll just have, you, you, we'll have to put you in the family section. Keep you safe. Yeah. The friends and family section, <laughs> yeah. you know, not, not catch it from the DC faithful there, but, yep, yep. uh, thank you so much to continue success the rest of the year. And hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for having me. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music. So